Bible out. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're picking up where we left off. Uh, Get your note sheet out, all right? Take notes. You just remember more than what you write down. Uh, If you're not yet in a small group, it's not too late, all right? We're really halfway through this series. Love for you to join a small group. You can go to our grow page, find a small group, fit your time, okay? And uh, you prepare for your small group by taking notes in a sermon. We do sermon-based small groups. And so uh, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, I hate working with my hands. I don't know how many of y'all, how many of y'all like working with your hands? Raise your hand. Okay, great. I, give me, if you have a business, give me your card, okay? Because that's how I fix things at my house. And um, so uh, I just hate working with my hands. Part of the reason is I, you know, my dad can fix anything. He's amazing. He's an HVAC guy. He can do electrical. He can do plumbing. He can do woodworking. I mean, he's just incredible. I know I'm a huge disappointment to him. He doesn't say that, but I know it. Like, you're just a bookworm kind of thing. And uh, and part of the reason I don't like working my hands is I, like, I only have like two tools in my toolbox, right? So I have like a hammer and some other thing. I don't even know what it's called. And so like, and uh, so it's just really hard. And, uh, but the other reason I hate working with my hands is one project always turns into a series of other projects, right? Like, oh, I'm going to redo the floor. And you take up the floor and you're like, oh, the subflooring. Oh, the foundation, you know? And it just goes downhill. Or I'm going to like do this electrical project. And then you realize like, you know, your, ele- your wires are from the 40s and you go to your breaker panel and you realize you have a fuse box and, you know, it just goes on and on and on of the things that need to be done. And I just don't like that. It's just too much opposition, you know, too much that goes on and on. And sometimes I think in life, it's kind of the same way. We, we have these expectations. We have these visions of what could or should be or the direction that we're going. And then we hit roadblocks and, and we forget that this world is not yet all that it's supposed to be. Everybody with me? And, and so you have opposition, you have difficulties, you have challenges, and that is the nature of life. And the reason is we are not yet where God is taking us, okay? And so we're doing this series called Nehemiah, and it's the heart for the kingdom, right? And we talked, running this through the New Testament, we talked about how the kingdom, it goes forward through the gospel of Jesus, one heart at a time, and a kingdom is built in the hearts of men and women as they receive Jesus Christ, okay? But we're also, in a broader sense, we're in what I like to call the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Is Jesus Christ ruling now? Yes, right? But it's also not yet. And so we have a future part of the kingdom. I always, the language that you hear me say a lot when I pray is the idea of when our faith becomes sight, right? Like it's going to be full and final. And so in this in-between time, we have enemies. And so today uh, we're going to unpack uh, Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah's rebuilding this wall last week, right? 52 days. He accomplishes incredible group with the group, with the Israelites. They accomplishes great thing together. Uh, but today, kind of in the, in the middle of that story, we get the opposition, the challenges that they face uh, in rebuilding the wall. Now, I want to do two really important things before I jump in this morning, okay? Important thing number one, if you're new to Coastal, you're checking out Coastal, you're checking out church, I'm so glad you're here. I get it. Church people are weird. You're trying to figure out their weirdness and that kind of thing. But we are going to use the word here over and over and over. The word is gospel, and you have to know what the gospel means. The word gospel means good news. All right, and so I am preaching to Christians today. To be a Christian, you have to have received the gospel. And here's the gospel message for those of you who are new here, okay? The gospel is this idea that our creator has made us, he made us, he put us in a perfect place, but in our sin, we rebelled against our creator. 
And our sin, according to the Bible, has earned us something. It earns us the wrath of God. So what all of us in this room deserve is God's wrath and penalty for our disobedience and our rebellion against his perfect character. However, God, because he's gracious and patient and merciful and kind, did something that he didn't have to do about our condition. He sent his best gift. He sent his one and only son. And so Jesus Christ took on flesh and he walked the planet and he never sinned. Therefore, Jesus is the only person that walked the planet that didn't deserve to die, but rather he chose death. And according to the scriptures, it was a substitutionary death where Jesus hung on the cross and God the Father poured out his hatred for my sin and your sin on Jesus instead of on you. Isn't that amazing? So when Jesus hung on the cross, those of you who know your Bible know he hung on the cross and he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me, right? Because he's bearing the wrath of my sin in that moment, and God the Father can't be in the presence of sin, all right? And so Jesus bears the wrath of sin. He, he dies, and if that was the end of the story, it would just be a martyr story, but instead, three days after being dead, our Savior Jesus Christ stepped out of his own grave, authenticating his claims as being the Son of God and reminding us, all of us that are connected to Christ, by grace through faith, not only are we connected to him in his death, but we are also connected to him in his resurrection. And therefore, by grace through faith, when Christ returns, we will step out of our own grave too. Isn't that amazing? And we will have not eternal life bodily forever and ever as Christ bodily rose from the grave. So it's a really amazing story. So maybe you're like, well, how do I receive this good news, right? It's really simple. It's simple but profound. You turn from your sin, that's called repentance. You believe in God's rescue plan, Jesus Christ, his person and his work, and you receive him in your life, okay? Because Christianity is not about be good. Christianity is about be transformed, right? And so once Christ is in our lives, we're transformed from the inside out, growing to be more like who our Savior is, sinless, righteous, and perfect. And so that's the gospel, right? And I want you to know the gospel on the front end. Now, I'm talking to Christians, okay? So if you've received that gospel, I'm talking to you. If you haven't received the gospel, do it today, okay? You can be saved today. Pray the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I need Christ. Be saved, okay? Second thing, this is really important. I'm going to use the word enemies throughout this sermon, Okay, now as we take the word enemies and we run it through the New Testament, it's very, very clear in the New Testament who our enemies are. Our enemies are not people. Everybody with me? So let's say it together. My enemy, our enemies are not people, right? It's not your neighbor who keeps blowing leaves on your lawn, all right? That's not your enemy, all right? Uh, and that could be me. That might be what I'm doing to you. So uh, it's not the person driving slow in front of you, right, on a one-way road. It's not another nation. It's not another people group, okay? Our enemies are spiritual, and the New Testament gives us our three enemies. The world, okay, that's the outside influences that try to influence our thinking away from the truth of God's Word. It's the world. It's the flesh. That's our sin nature that even as Christians is still in us, and it's the devil. Those are our three enemies of our spiritual walk. Everybody with me? So for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to use the word enemies, and you're not going to think, it's my neighbor, it's my spouse, you know, it's my children. No, it's, you know, it's, it's spiritual to our walk. Everybody with me on that? So here we go. Here's an overview of the story today, Nehemiah 4. So you remember, last week, 52 days, they rebuild the wall, but some enemies show up, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they come up and they hurl insults 
at the people of Israel. They make fun of the wall, and we'll unpack that in a minute. And so Nehemiah uh, continues to encourage them to work, and they do work. And so after uh, Sambalot and, and Tobiah realize that their insults don't stop the people of Israel, they threaten war. And when they threaten war, this does stop the Israelites from working. And so then Nehemiah comes up with a plan. He encourages them to get back to work, but he also prepares them for war. So it's a both and if necessary. And so there you go. I just gave you a lot. That's the overview. I want to pull out three points that I hope encourage you this morning. Okay, number one, the enemy will encourage us to believe lies. What's really, really fascinating in this passage, the first two verses, is the lies that Sanballat and Tobiah throw at Nehemiah and the Israelites. They're some of the same lies that we believe today, if we're not careful. It's the same lies that the enemy will throw at you as you're building your life on Christ, okay? And so here it is, Nehemiah 1, 1 and 2. Now, when Sanballat heard that they were building a wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish? And these stones are burned ones at that. Listen, nothing has changed in a thousands of years. The enemy is going to hurl the same lies at you. Lie number one, or letter A. You're too weak. You're too feeble to finish what God has called you to do. Now, here's my answer to that. You ready? Of course you're too weak. God, there's nowhere in Scripture that we are called to muster up our own strength to do what God has called us to do. We are to find our strength in the one who, has, who is strong. Amen? When I, once you trust in Christ, he is strong. He has overcome all your enemies. And he will give you the strength to do what God has called you to do. Pastor Andrew said something I think was really important last week. I don't know if you caught it. I only listen to the 8 o'clock service, so I don't know what service you guys were in. We all say different things in different services, okay? A little bit. So, But in 8 o'clock service, he said, we tell our children they can be anything they want to be, right? How many of y'all telling your children that? You can be whatever you want to be. That's actually not true. You, your children can be anything that God wants them to be. Amen. Big difference. Because when God calls, God equips and God empowers, and God gives strength to fulfill what he's called them to do. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what, church? It's in our weakness that Christ shows up. So yes, the enemy's going to come to you. You're too weak. And you look at the enemy and go, no doubt. But my Savior is not. And that is where I find my strength. Number two, or let her be. The second lie. You're, built, you're doing this for your own name and fame. 
you're doing this for your own glory. You're mo- this is an attack of motives. Motives. They're doing this for themselves. Listen, I, I've, been, uh, I've been pastoring for a long time, right? I'm, I'm getting old. You know how I know? So young people, young people are on their phones all the time. They post selfies all the time. Old people, you young people, you know, us old people don't do that. We don't feel comfortable in front of cameras, right? We didn't grow up with them. You ever seen a picture of yourself, old person? Like, whoa. You hadn't seen yourself in a while. Like, what happened? Who's that old guy over there? Like, yeah, I'm old. I've been doing this a long time. And I can just tell you, and some of y'all that have been doing it a long time will know this to be true. When you're, when you're doing things when you're leading things and you're doing things for the glory of God, there will always be people that question your motives. Oh, you're just trying to do this for yourself. You're just, you're just trying to, and whatever. And, and I can tell you that's an that's attack of the enemy. Now, here's the challenge of it. As a human being, we're still in process. I'm not perfect yet. You're not perfect yet, right? That's glorification. I'm justified, declared righteous when I come and corrupt repent of my sin and believe in Jesus, sanctification, I'm in process, I'm growing to be more like Christ, but I'm still a sinner. So even in my, in my leadership, your leadership, like we're still, like for me, I'm still like, God, I'm trying really hard to do this for your glory alone, but I'm mixed up inside, as are you, right? And so it's this constant tension. But even the Apostle Paul says, when, and by the way, First and Second Corinthians were both written as an attack against the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And even the Apostle Paul says, listen, you can take the motive thing to the Lord because I'm ultimately judged by God. Amen? Check that. If you don't believe me, check this out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, so the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is addressing some of the accusations against his ministry. He says, first of all, I'm serving the Lord, and, and I I've so far have lived and served in a trustworthy manner. And then in verse 3, he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He's talking about his past because he says in verse 4, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the, when's the time? When the Lord comes, right? And he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Listen, the, a lie of the enemy is you're doing this for your own motives, your own glory, your own purposes. And I think as best as we can as Christians, we say, no, I'm doing this as best as I can tell for the glory of God and for the purposes of the kingdom, amen? And, we should, and as Christians, we should constantly be checking our motives. All right, number three. Let us see, another lie. This will cost you too much. It's going to cost too much. Will they sacrifice? So he's taunting them. Do you realize what a big job this is? I mean, are you really going to sacrifice for this? Listen, by the way, um, for those of you in New Coastal, like, man, I, <laughs> this, I don't even know what I want to say. You, I've never been around a church that sacrifices like this church, man. And I really, I genuinely mean that. I really believe I could stand up here with any situation in front of you guys and go, guys, we need this kind of sacrifice for the future. And the people in the church will go, man, I will give my time, talent, and treasure to make that happen. I've just seen that in 20 years of being your pastor, that the servants in this church are incredible. I've seen people sacrifice so much time and so much of their talent, and yes, so much of their pocketbook to make this church go, man. I just, I praise God for you. I feel like this doesn't even count, but, but the enemy at times will go, hey, the next step in the journey, it's a big job. Are you really willing to sacrifice? 
right? And, and sometimes as you start counting the cost of the sacrifice, sometimes we won't do it. And so, you know, last week, and, and we did, Pastor Andrew did such a great job of reminding us that this sacrifice, the vision that God's given us as a church, no one person can do it. It requires all of us to make sacrifices as God calls us to make so that the glory of God can be displayed through us as a team, if you will, right? As a body is the language of the New Testament. That as we pull our sacrifices together, God does way more than we could ever ask or think. Y'all with me? Uh, and so last week, I, and so I'm going to say this here. I'm trying to find a place in the sermon to put this because I didn't, I wasn't in person last week. But last week I talked in video about the endowment, and I'm sorry about the video. Uh, I planned my getaway with my wife like months and months ago, and then you know we started unpacking the series. I was like, oh no, you know this is the place it fits. And and so I want to talk just two minutes about the endowment. Okay, um, the endowment. I really, really believe is going to be the financial engine to the future of vision of Coastal Church. So everybody with me on that? Okay, so at least you kind of get an understanding. But now, I, I kind of tried to give you some vision about it, and I found out, since I've come back, that there's been some really different responses. One response is, uh, I'm in, sign me up, I get it, this is really, really cool, all right? The second one is, I'm skeptical, is the church asking for money? Yes and no. We're out, we're, we were setting vision in front of you, all right? The third response is, are we crazy, okay? And, so, and the fourth response has been, I have no idea what you're even talking about, okay? And so if you're any of those four responses, here's what I need you to do, okay? Because in a 10-minute video, I can't, I can't give it all to you. I'm trying to whet your appetites. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to come to our vision lunch, okay? And so let me put this QR code up on the screen, all right? And so our vision lunch is November 12th. You can scan the QR code, take it, and you can go to our website. It's on the website too, and sign up for the lunch, okay? And in that lunch, I'm gonna unpack the vision and how we can do this together together and, and where I think this is going in the next decade and how we can take bite-sized chunks today to see a vision that God has for us 10 years from now that none of us could have even thought about or imagine. Okay, y'all with me for that? You get a free lunch. I mean, it's worth that, right? And then come on out and check it out and go to the website and sign up. Okay, third lie, okay? Uh, I'm sorry, the fourth lie, letter D, it'll take too long. It'll take too long. You're not going to persevere. What, are they going to finish the wall in a day? It's going to take too long. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I, 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 the language I use for myself is I'm a plotter. You know, I'm not really a sprinter, as you can tell. Okay, so uh, uh, I'm a plotter. Um, and and I can, uh, what God has gifted me in is the ability to get up the next day and do the next right thing, one day after the next and after the next. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember when I talked about this? And I used the illustration of the power of compounding interest, and then I kind of linked that to leavening how our lives, your life leavens, that when you serve the Lord in the mundane, being an awesome parent, changing diapers, doing dishes, folding laundry, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, going to work, serving in your church, and you do this day after day after day, and it feels a little mundane in the moment, but you stack it up over a lifetime, and there's a tremendous impact for the Lord. Everybody with me on that? I'm a little bit of a plotter. I want you to be plotters. Life is not a sprint. It's, there's times when you sprint, but there's times when you rest, but life is a marathon, okay? And, and as we serve the Lord. It'll take too long. Yeah, it will take too long, but the Lord, the God who has called us to a task is the God that's going to persevere us, is the God that's going to see it through to completion. Amen. He's got the calendar, I don't. Amen. 
My job is to serve the Lord in the day as he's called me to. I always say this. I think that we, we get less done in a day. All right, How many of y'all pound, pile things on your calendar? I'll be there at one. I'll be there at two. I'll be there at three. Right? And so, and, and I've, some, I've done this with my wife. She's told me all the things she's going to do in the next four hours. I'm like, babe, there's like no way. Yeah, I'll get there. I'm like, honey, just getting up the With Creek Road's going to take you 20 minutes. Like, how are you going to get all that done? Like, you know, like, that is not going to happen. Like, we tend to do that. And so I always say, like, we often get less done in a day than we think we can, but we get way more done in a lifetime of obedience. And, I, and so don't believe the lie. Like, it's not going to happen. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good. So do Serve the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Serve the Lord on Monday. Serve the Lord on Tuesday. Serve the Lord. Plod, right? And in, good, and in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Number five, letter E. You don't have the resources to finish. We're never going to finish this job, right? Will they take these stones these burnt stones, they're rubbish. They're going to have the resources to finish. Some of you look at, the, look at your life and the things that God has. And I don't know if I should tell you what next week's sermon topic is. It's giving. Okay, no one's going to be here tomorrow. Don't delete that from the video, okay, because no one will come back. Oh, listen, a lot of times we're like, give. Like, are you crazy? I can barely make ends meet. We don't honor the Lord with all of our resources. We're taking out the opportunity for the Lord to show up and make up the difference. You with me? And God wants to, he wants you to walk in obedience and then show up and make up the difference so that you can sing a hallelujah. So you go, wow, I saw God provide in ways I didn't expect. The great commission that God has given us to do, I talked about this two, three weeks ago, is bookended in the authority of Christ. Right? How's the Great Commission start? All authority has been given unto me. So here's what I want you to do. And then he finishes with, and I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. So when the enemy comes and says, you're not going to have the resources to do what you've been called to do. God is with us when we walk in obedience. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4, my God will supply Every need of yours according to his riches in glory. And in the in-between time, as the, as the enemy hurls these lies, Nehemiah res- reminds us, letter F, that our responsibility is to pray. And next to the word prayer, I put the word depend. Because prayer is also this idea of like, God, I can't do it. Like I'm limited in resources. I'm limited in strength. I'm limited, I'm limited, I'm limited. But I'm walking in obedience. So I'm praying to you. I'm depending on you. And I'm going to work hard. Because that's what Nehemiah says next. I'm going to pray and depend. I'm going to do what, I'm going to do the good that you called me to do. But I'm also going to work hard in the middle of it. And so verse 4. So here's Nehemiah's prayer after these lies and these insults are hurled at Nehemiah and the nation of Israel. Hear, O our God, for we're despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. 
Give them up to be plundered in a land where there are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Let me pause here for a minute. I mean, if you have your thinking cap on, like you're like, I've never prayed a prayer like that. Listen, I, we need to remember, we're running this through the New Testament. What are our enemies? World, sin, and the devil. I've sat in too many hospital rooms with parents that have lost their children. And I think about our final enemy, death. I have no problem playing that prayer over death. I hate you. And I praise God that Christ has vanquished you. And I hate my own sin and the damage it does to my own family. I think, God, when is this part of me going to go away? And I praise God that there's a day where sin will be no more, my own included. I've sat in my office time after time where I have seen sin wreck families. And I go, God, when is this going to be gone? We are not taking our enemies nearly seriously enough. Our enemies don't want good for you. They don't want good for your family. They don't want good for your workplace. They don't want good for your finances. It's only your God who wants good for you. Amen? So, man, we, when, I, when we talk about enemies, man, God, I can't wait until they're all full and finally gone. Amen? Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the wall was joined together at half height, for the people had a mind to work. They prayed, and they worked, and they prepared. Verse 9. For we prayed to our God, we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Prayer, dependence, and hard work, and preparation, so that God can build the kingdom through us as he sees fit. Second thing I want you to consider this morning, in the face of opposition, when things get hard, and I find this to be true, it causes me, at least, to set my priorities. Sometimes when I'm squeezed and when life is hard, it makes me pause and go, man, what's really important? Anybody? Nobody? You had a hard week, and it goes, man, what, what really matters to me? You go to the doctor, and you get that horrible diagnosis. It's in that moment, like, what, what really matters I think Nehemiah does a little bit of that, right? So verse 14, like he sets the priorities. He says, I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Now, this verse has some danger to it. This is not American nationalism. 
okay, again, we got to run this spiritually through the New Testament. But there's some simplicity in this verse. Like when times get tough and we prioritize, the first thing that, that as the enemies try to crush us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it reminds me what's really important letter is I got to worship God above all else. I don't need to fear my enemies. I need to remember the Lord, Nehemiah says, who is great and awesome. You know, sometimes, I don't know why I'm going here. This is a rabbit trail I didn't say in the first. Sometimes I feel like we, we pick at our music selections. Man, that, that song wasn't deep enough. Sometimes it's as simple as just remember God is great and awesome. Sometimes it's a simple prayer of God is great. God is good. Like there's a lot of depth in that. Man, just worship the Lord. Listen, by the way, worshiping the Lord protects you from your enemies. Listen, part of the reason that we want you to commit to corporate worship is we, you, I, we need this. Life is hard. You had a hard week, right? And you come into corporate worship and you sing song one and you sing song two and something happens during song three that like all the weight of the world, the burdens begin to lift a little bit. Why does that happen? Because God has given us corporate worship as a gift to us so that our enemies don't get final foothold in our minds. Amen? And we come here and other people are singing with you. And I guess and you're like, ah, oh, I thought I was alone in this. But I guess other people believe this stuff too. Our vision at Coastal is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And we say there's four really important things for you to develop as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Connect, which is what? Corporate worship. Grow, which is what? Small group. Serve. Ministry and mission. And multiply. Develop your, invest in someone else. Listen, I was talking to Pastor Dave, who's going to be preaching in a couple weeks, and, and uh, he oversees our counseling ministry that we're trying to develop on all our campuses. And, and one of the things he said recently, he said, 80% of the people that come to our counseling department are not doing connect, grow, serve, and multiply. We didn't, the, the leaders of Coastal through the years, we didn't just go, man, everybody looks bored. We need to fill their calendars with something. Let's make them go to corporate worship and come in small group and serve somewhere. Like This is New Testament discipleship. And connect, grow, serve, and multiply protects you from the enemy that wants to devour you. The New Testament says our enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking who he may nibble on. Some of y'all don't know the, the, the scripture, no. Seeking who he may what? Devour. And some of you show up to corporate worship like once a month and you're wondering why you can't get your life together. You're out there being devoured. We have real enemies. So it's real simple, like, Worship God. I'll get through these really quickly for time's sake. B, invest in your family. This is kind of like the next two points is like the Titus series I just did. Invest in your family. Young people, if you have young kids, like young families, like it's all hands on deck. You don't get to have a hobby for like 20 years, okay? But it goes fast and you'll enjoy what you do. Stop gaming. Stop hunting, stop fishing. Give attention to your family because they have an enemy seeking whom they may devour. They want to devour your kids. 
You think the government has your, be- your kids' best interests in heart? Invest in your families and old people. Once the kids move out, invest in the young people. They need some people with gray hair to help them navigate this mess. Let her see, right? Invest in your church family. So we just went through Titus, older men, instruct the younger men. I just got a text this week from a young man going, I need a mentor. I should have a whole list of men, names who say, I'm ready, man, mentor me. That's cool, by the way. Anybody? That's cool. And some of y'all have the time now to invest and find a place to serve. Doing these things protect us from our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Finally, Nehemiah teaches that Christians are both servants and warriors. Are we servants or warriors? Yes, right? Nehemiah 4. And so when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, by the way, Nehemiah gives all glory to God, (laughs) We returned to the wall, each to his work, and from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Sounds like the foreman, right? They're not doing anything, they're just standing back there. Okay, I'm supervising. So, And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building the wall, and those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while we built. And the man who sounded the trumpet, by the way, he gave some instructions on what to do when he heard the sound of the trumpet. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. The scriptures give us constant and appropriate tensions. Faith, God's going to take care of it, and readiness. We're going to prepare. Trust and planning. Serving and battling, resting and hard work. Which is it? Yes, right? It's yes. And so as Christians, we're servants. We're servants. And First Peter reminds us of this, right? First Peter 4, verse 7 through 11. He says, the end of all things is at hand. What's he talking about? Since the birth of Jesus Christ, we've been in the beginning of the last act of God. You, church, are in the last days. We're in the final act of God's redemption. Nehemiah was in act three, right? We're in act whatever. Final act. So here we go. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love, what does love do, church? Covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received the gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So guess what? The end is near, and so you're now here to serve the Lord until your faith becomes sight. And what does service look like according to the Scriptures? We're sober-minded. We're clear-minded. We're reminding ourselves, man, this is not peacetime. This is wartime. The time is short, and I am here to serve until the day that my faith becomes sight. We're loving each other because love covers a multitude of sins. 
That means we got to forgive one another so that we can serve together for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're showing hospitality. That means we're generous in all areas of our life without grumbling, using our gifts that God has given us for the sake of others and with the grace that God supplies for God's glory before Jesus Christ to be exalted, our love, our hospitality, and our gifts is all here to serve the Lord. Amen? Everything that you have, you're just a steward of to bring glory to God and exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ because the end is at hand. We are servants and, let her be, we are warriors. And as warriors... We are to put on the armor of Christ. And so Ephesians 6, Paul says, by the way, both of these texts come from the end of letters that the apostles wrote to the church. And so finally, Paul says, finally, Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Modern Americans have no idea what to do with this passage, (laughs) right? It's like, wait, what? You want to know what the wait what is? There's something bigger going on than you can even imagine. As you're raising your kids in the Lord, there's something bigger going on than you can even imagine. As you serve in your church as an usher on Sunday morning, there's something bigger going on than you can even imagine. When you volunteer for children's ministry, when you serve in the youth group, when you lead your small group, there's something bigger going on than you can even imagine. You with me? Therefore, 13, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints how many of you prayed a prayer that didn't involve you this week and prayed for a saint i mean we not only we're praying for ourselves but we're praying for others so i've preached entire sermon series i'll go through this really quickly ready we're to be strong in the lord your strength comes from the lord we're to put on the belt of truth in Bible times, the belt held the entire uniform together. The chain mail, the chain mail of the pants, the belt held it all together. At Coastal, we are going to be built on the truth. And the truth is from the Word of God, and we're not going to waver off the Word of God. That's why sometimes I preach sermons, and if you're new here or you're from the outside looking in, you're going like, they are a thousand years backwards. But we believe that the Word of God is the truth, and the truth sets people free. 
The belt of truth holds it all together. And the breastplate of righteousness, this means we're going to walk and grow in holiness and righteousness. Listen, there's some of you in this morning that you have a habitual, unrepentant sin. And every time the Spirit of God's working on you and saying, man, you could rise up and be a leader. You could rise up and lead a small group. You could rise up and serve in a ministry. You could rise up and lead someone to Christ. The, because you have unholiness and unrighteousness in your life, the enemy whispers in your ear, you're never going to do that because of your addiction to pornography. You don't have the breastplate of righteousness or whatever your habitual sin is. And we need to grow in holiness and righteousness so that God can continue to expand our influence and use us. Letter D, it's shoes of the gospel of peace. By the way, notice that the gospel is the feet. Why is it the feet? Because the gospel needs to go forward. Yes, Does the Bible tell us to go or does the Bible tell us to take care of our own? What? Somebody said it. What is it? Yes. We take care of our own and we go. And that's attention to manage. It's why I get up here a lot of times I talk about, man, we're going to go plant another gospel outpost. Well, how can we plant another gospel outpost? Because of fill in the blank. Because we're doing both. It's a both and. If we ever stop going, we're going to turn inward and God's not going to bless us. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go. Right? It's the feet of the gospel, the shield of faith. A lot of you are not able to extinguish the fiery arrows and lies of the devil because you don't know the word of God. You've got to be in your word every single day. The helmet of salvation. If you're not saved, I think what Paul's saying is if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not saved, you're going to lose your head. All right, helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And all of this, Nehemiah has taught us, is with prayer, right? Praying, praying bookends the armor of Christ. So Christian, here's the deal, ready? You're a servant warrior. So both end. We're here to serve and we're here to be prepared for the battle in front of us. So I wanna close this story. I'll invite the worship team up. Um, I, uh, I love Rocky One. Any Rocky One fans here? All right, so if you've never seen Rocky One, I'm about to ruin the movie for you. It's been around since the 70s, so I think that's your fault. Okay, so, uh, so the story of Rocky One is the champ, Apollo Creed, um, has a, a title, uh, title bout in Philadelphia, and his opponent breaks a hand during training six weeks before the title bout. And Apollo has spent all this money investing in this up-and-coming fight. And so he has to decide either I cancel it, which would he would lose a lot of money, uh, or he comes up with a different strategy. And so he comes up really with a brilliant strategy. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a local fighter in Philadelphia to fight me for the title. It's a chance that no local fighter would ever get. It'd be like, it'd be like you being at a baseball game, right? And, and, and a professional baseball game. And there's a big moment in the ninth inning and the manager comes out and he looks at his dugout and he doesn't see anybody he likes and he looks up at you in the stand and he says, why don't you come up here and take this at bat, okay? Like that's what would happen. You come out, you look kind of in shape, you know, come on out here and take some swings. So Rocky gets this chance, right? It's amazing. And the way he gets chosen, remember how he gets chosen? Anybody remember? 
Apollo starts going through names of local fighters and he loves the name Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. And he's like, man, I'm gonna promote, this is gonna be amazing, right? And so he basically then brings Rocky in and Rocky's got about six weeks to train for the fight. And, uh, and so it, during, uh, Rocky starts to train really, really hard. And does anybody remember where he usually ends up training? He ends up in a meat locker, right? Like his, his, uh, his, his fiance's brother, Uncle Polly, uh, has a job in a meat locker. And so Rocky goes in there and he starts training by pounding on these half sides of frozen cattle, you know, and he's pounding the meat. And so Polly brings in the news station and he, Rocky gets interviewed on the news as he's pounding this raw meat. And so Cut now to another scene in the movie. So as Rocky is pounding this raw meat, he's on the news. Apollo is in his office, and he's preparing for the fight, right? Only he's preparing for all the business deals of the fight. He, 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 he's, he's sitting in there, and he's, he's taking care of, of his tax breaks, and he's thinking about where to best advertise. He's making sure that the mayor has ringside seats and that, there, that there'll be a hundred roses there for his wife. And he says, make sure the newspaper's there to get pictures. He's making sure that his barber is being flown in for the fight, right? He's making sure all this is happening. All the while, Apollo's coach is watching Rocky train on this raw meat. And finally, a little concerned, Apollo's coach says, hey, champ, you got to come over here and look at this boy you're going to fight on TV. Looks like he means business. To which Apollo Creed responds, yeah, yeah, I, I mean business too. He, Apollo just meant a different kind of business. He wasn't taking care of what really mattered. And if you know the story of Rocky, Rocky doesn't win, but man, he, do, he shocks the world by going 15 rounds with the champ. We have an enemy that means business. We have an enemy that wants to destroy your walk with God. We have an enemy that wants to take your sin nature and amplify it till it destroys you. We have an enemy that wants to make sure your children don't walk with the Lord. We have an enemy that wants to make sure marriages crumble. We want to make, have an enemy that wants to make sure jobs fall apart. And we have an enemy that means business. And I have a fear that too many Christians are walking around going, yeah, yeah, I mean business too. You're not coming regularly to corporate worship. You're not in a small group. You're not serving anywhere. You're not multiplying your lives. Every time I get up here and talk about you know, multiplying the church through a campus, your antenna goes like, what are we doing? We are planting gospel outposts around the community so that God and the gospel can be exalted as the only hope of the world. Amen? Amen? And we need to be servant warriors until the day that our faith becomes sight. We need to be ready because the end is near. We need to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so I'm gonna do something different this morning. I'm gonna send you out singing. Here we go. I want to I want to bring up the, the prayer team. Prayer team, come on out. Come on up to the front, okay? Listen, if we have learned one thing from Nehemiah, Nehemiah prays a lot, yes? And so if you need prayer today, don't leave without prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in the room to stand. Everybody stand. And we're going we're gonna to 
I'm going to benedict. I'm going to do a benediction. Benediction means blessing, and we're going to pray with our eyes open this morning. And then we're going to go out singing. So here's my prayer of benediction over you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Church, be steadfast in your spiritual disciplines. Be in prayer, be in the word, connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Be steadfast in your marriage for the glory of God. Be steadfast in your parenting, pointing your children to Christ. Be steadfast in the workplace that God may bless your hand of labor. And be steadfast in your ministry, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And all of God's people said,